The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at Colonial Pipeline headquarters in Alpharetta, Georgia, and here is your top five at five. Holding energy hostage. As America's most important oil and gas artery shut down by hackers, we have complete team coverage on the latest on the cyber attack and what it means for oil and gas prices ahead. The Dow and S&P kicking off the new week once again at record highs as investors shrugging off that big jobs report miss. The Doge died. The Red Hot Crypto, well, formerly Red Hot, shedding roughly a third of its price after Elon Musk calls it a hustle on Saturday Night Live. The pandemic's new phase and more hope as rules in states that are still on high alert may finally become more relaxed. And let's talk taxes and what the top 1% of earners really pay. Robert Frank is here with the numbers. It is Monday, May 10th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good Monday morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Hope you had a great weekend wherever you might be. Let's get right now to your Monday money. Now, overall, market futures are flat to mixed right now. Long way to go. It's early, thin volume, not getting a whole lot of indication. Dow futures up 68. NASDAQ futures done 51. Now, the big question, of course, is whether all the recent momentum in certain parts of the market can roll on. And if so, for how long? It has been nothing short of an amazing year so far for many stocks. The market's Overall, coming off their best week in a month. And the S&P 500 is now up six of the past seven weeks. Instanet also notes the S&P 500 has not had a more than 1% drop in two months. Wow. All right, let's move on to what may be the big story, though. That is oil and gas prices on the back of that huge colonial pipeline shutdown and hacking story. Oil and wholesale gasoline futures are both higher right now. Natural gas down, but that's largely unrelated. Now, remember, the gasoline price that you pay at the pump, likely anywhere from $0.75 to $1.50 or more, more than that wholesale price. We are already seeing gasoline prices at multi-year highs around parts of America. They are likely to tick up a little bit in the next couple of days. Wholesale gas up more than 1%. We'll get much more on that in just a couple of moments. Right now, though, a quick check around the world. In Asia, a mixed picture there to begin their week. The Kospi in South Korea booming, though, up one point. We're not showing it to you, but we should. It's up 1.6% as well. And in the European markets, kind of like our futures, they are mixed as well. No real trend there to start the week. France is down a little bit. The U.K. is up just a touch. All right, now to the huge story around America's biggest and arguably most important energy artery. Being forced to shut down due to hacker attacks. And as of right now, most of the Colonial Pipeline does still remain offline, and it has been all weekend. 
There are some smaller branches of that pipeline that are working again, but the main lines, the main arteries, they are still down. The pipeline was targeted by criminals late Friday that somehow compromised some of Colonial Pipeline's computer systems and then demanded a ransom payment. Colonial says it then decided proactively to shut down the pipeline to, quote, contain the threat. Now, sources tell NBC News that a Russian criminal group known as Darkside may be responsible for this attack. They add that while Russian hackers often work for the Kremlin, Early indications suggest this was a criminal scheme and not an attack by a nation state like Russia. What that threat was or how much money the hackers demanded is unknown. Multiple calls and emails over the weekend by myself and others to Colonial were not returned. Now, the Colonial pipeline is incredibly important to East Coast and Southeast fuel supplies. In fact, It supplies about 40 to 45 percent of all fuel used on the East Coast south of New York City and runs to 14 states and supplies jet fuel to a number of major airports. So you're probably asking, what's the likely impact to you from this news? Well, shutdowns are not new. The 5,500-mile pipeline has been shut down in various ways over the years. And what history shows is clear. It is the length of time the pipeline stays down that is the greater risk of a sharp surge in gasoline prices, particularly in areas like New Jersey and New York that rely nearly exclusively on the more than 50-year-old system. There are a few other ways to get mass amounts of gasoline to the area between Philadelphia and New York. Look at this. Energy commentary all over the weekend notes that a short outage is manageable and likely will not send prices soaring by simply using current gasoline inventory. We put together a 10-year chart of wholesale gasoline prices. The red circles are five major problem periods or shutdowns with the Colonial. And as you can see, there have been some sharp ticks up. They're a little hard to see, but trust me, they impact you at the pump. But overall, what you can see, it is generally the longer-term trend for gasoline prices it tends to continue after pipeline service is restored. But keep this in mind, that trend right now is already for higher prices as demand starts to boom. The president has been briefed and his administration says they are looking at a variety of options to help any and all supply issues. All right, let's dive into more on this and the broader markets with your first guest of the day and of the week, Ben Emmons, Managing Director of Global Macro Strategy with Medley Global Advisors. Uh, Ben, good to have you back on. You put out a note on just this last night. Do you believe if the outage is a couple days long or longer, will there be an impact on the equity market side of things? Good morning, Brian. Yeah, there will be actually a more positive impact, you would think, because you know, when you get rising gasoline prices, people call this with this word reflation, right? And that's, I think, what fueled last night a little bit, the equity rally, the small rally, that is, because the tip over into the energy market was seen there as well. And well, as you know, the two, like, look, there's going to be some outages and it's going to affect the pump prices. So it will impact maybe local economies, but by and large, it should not really impact the U.S. economy overall. We're dealing already with higher gas prices because the economy is open and everybody is uh, mobile right now. So there's another relationship there. I think overall that although this is a significant event in terms of the 
hack itself and, and all the circumstances on it, it did have a positive spillover effect to equity markets. Yeah, I mean, you go back a couple of years and the Colonial had about a 10 day outage on a lot of its system, not all of its system. A reminder, it's not just one pipe. If our audience does not understand what it is, it's basically it's a giant tree. You've got a couple of trunks and then a bunch of branches that go off. When that happened about uh, three or four years ago, the price of gasoline rose about 30 cents. It's not nothing, but it's not everything. We've already got a consumer, Ben, that to your point on inflation is being pretty much punched in the gut everywhere they look with higher prices. Sounds like you're not that concerned. This will ultimately slam the consumer. I think it won't because, in the one hand, you have an economy that's already really in a strengthening path that you are. So, yes, it, it bites, of course, in, in consumer spending, higher gas prices, but there's so much pent-up savings currently, meaning there's so much uh, on the sidelines at the moment with people having their bank accounts and spending and income are actually back to pre-COVID levels because of all the stimulus we put in. So I think to that extent, the, the potential blow, if you will, from this, this event may be cushioned by all those savings. Also, no doubt, though, Brian, that if you get this sort of you know, inflationary uh, effect on uh, from these gas prices that you know, the, the mm-hmm. inflation-linked bond market will react to this. Right? Real yields will actually decline a bit. And I think this is another reason why markets are up, because the dollar has been a little bit weaker. I think on the back of, again, lower real interest rates in the United States, a result of higher gas prices filtering through to the inflation reports in the future. So that, too, gives a lift to global markets, because weaker dollar is a supporting uh, reason for uh, emerging markets, for example. So I think if you if you take it all together, it's not a good event, obviously. It shouldn't have happened. I think if they do yeah. manage the outage, then it will be normalized. Consumption itself is so strong at the moment that they can, I think, cope with these high gas prices at the yeah. moment. Well, right now, a Refinitiv, a data provider, saying that there are six oil tankers being loaded or at least have been booked to potentially load gasoline from Europe ostensibly destined for the United States. I mean, I can't remember the last time we saw gasoline come in by truck or ship. Maybe it was Superstorm Sandy a number of years ago. But Ben, back to stocks. The energy sector of the 11 S&P sectors, energy is up 41% this year, 13% more than the next best group. It is unloved. It is underowned. In fact, it is widely hated. I know it's a tiny part of the market, but it's been hot. This is ostensibly, I hate to say it, bullish for oil and gas stocks because it kind of comes back to the idea of domestic security, infrastructure, more build out. Is there any way energy can lead the market or is it simply too small to do any good overall? Well, it could lead the market, not only just in the United States, but globally, because as you point out, like we actually are still below levels from where we came from, from the, from the trough last year. That was so significant. We're still making back there. So energy has been indeed the supporting factor, not just in the United States, but also in, in Europe for the broader rally. So, yes, there is more to go. And although that sector is smaller than technology or industrials, you know, it just adds to that because the industrial sector, too, has been, quote, unquote, hot, right, because of all the demand that's out there for you know, anything when it comes to materials or, or anything else. So, I think the energy sector is just like in 2016-17, you get this reflationary push in the markets. We're still in that push. And I think that's what energy does at the moment. It's really supporting for markets. 
Yeah, up 41% as a sector. A lot of these beaten up, heavily shorted, left for dead names, they're up even more as well. Ben Emmons, Medley Global Advisors, great macro perspective. Of course, that's why you're the global macro guy. Ben, we'll see you later. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) All right, you're welcome. Well, there's a lot more happening in the world right now outside of pipelines and stocks. And let's get more of the key headlines on this Monday morning. Frank Collin joining us this Monday. Frank, good to see you again. Always good to see you, Brian. The European Union looks to be putting the brakes on further use of its AstraZeneca COVID vaccine supply. In a new interview, the bloc's internal market commissioner revealing it has not made any new orders for the shop beyond when its current contract ends next month. He did not, however, dismiss the possibility of an AstraZeneca AstraZeneca renewal at a later time. Biden administration officials say the U.S. is entering a new phase of the outbreak and more relaxed rules. They may be coming. Asked yesterday about whether it's time to start relaxing indoor face covering requirements, Dr. Anthony Fauci said he thinks we'll see that as we go along, adding officials need to start being more liberal as vaccinations increase. Fauci added the CDC will update guidelines for social distancing and face covering usage, quote, almost in real time as vaccinations increase. And the Wall Street Journal reporting that Melinda Gates first met with divorce lawyers in October of 2019 and was apparently concerned about Bill Gates' relationship with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. According to the journal, Melinda had worries about Epstein as far back as 2013, when the couple met with him to discuss philanthropy. The paper adds that Bill Gates met with Epstein's, Epstein several times starting around 2011, well after his conviction of sex crimes. But in a 2019 interview, Bill Gates said he didn't have any business relationship or friendship with Epstein. Brian? All right, Frank Collin. Frank, we'll get to, we'll see you a bit here in, in a few minutes. I want to ask you, by the way, Frank, about the Kentucky Derby, because that lead horse, and if, oh, great if, time. if a good friend of yours, just random, if a good friend of yours may or may not have bet on the horse that finished second, I wonder what <laughs> we'll find out, Frank Collin. We're going to find out, Brian. Derby. We're going to find it was a great time either way. Um, I'm not a, a horse racing expert, but great time. Asking for a friend. If you bet on Mandaloon, what now happens? Frank Holland, we'll see you in a few minutes, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you. See ya. Go Mandaloon. All right, we are just getting started. When we come back, Eamon Javers is here. He will have more on the federal government's response to that digital assault on the Colonial Pipeline. What do we really know about the alleged hackers? What do they want? Anything but money? Plus, Kate Rogers looks at a sector in desperate need of a few good workers. And diving into what may be one of the top financial stories of the year that may hit you even if you don't own stocks. It's the soaring cost of wood. We're back with Dow Futures up 78. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Friday's monthly jobs report was uh, a bit of a bust, showing just 266,000 new positions were added last month. That was just a fraction of what analysts had expected. But at least those businesses were able to find workers. For the restaurant industry, it's a totally different story. Many places just can't find anyone willing or able to work. Kate Rogers has more. Help is wanted everywhere. There is a dearth of labor in the restaurant business and in the service business like we have never seen. From Domino's. So we look at ourselves as competing, you know, for customers and also competing, you know, for, for, for drivers, for team members. So we've got to be great at both. To Chipotle. Once we get that word out, we see really good applicant flow. And then our biggest challenge is keeping them in the business beyond those first 30, 60, 90 days. The hunt is on to find and keep workers. Taco Bell and McDonald's have hosted hiring events to try to bring on thousands of workers ahead of the summer rush. Some companies say it's impacting the supply chain for things like chicken. The pandemic has caused challenges to be able to staff plants, to be able to uh, slaughter enough chickens to be able to meet the demands of the marketplace. The issue is being felt at businesses large and small. The National Federation of Independent Business says 44% of small businesses have jobs they can't fill, a record high for the third straight month. The struggle to find workers is coming at the worst time for La Familia Cortez restaurants, as diners are returning in droves. The company needs to hire 300 more workers for its five locations. So we're having to do some extraordinary things in terms of referral bonuses, sign-on bonuses, and obviously wages are going up tremendously as well. Economists that I've spoken to say this is about much more than just enhanced benefits. There's uncertainty around things like health, childcare concerns, and so much more. Of course, coming at a time for the restaurant industry when business is actually really strong because consumers are ready to return after one of the most challenging years the industry has had in decades. Back over to you. Yeah, tough to uh, tough to get to work when your kids aren't in school. Kate Rogers in San Francisco, thank you for that report. I still believe there are, I think, potentially zero public high schools that are open in the San Francisco school district right now, at least the last time I checked. All right, up next, are your bags packed? Well, everybody else's apparently are. As travel booms and coming up, we'll tell you how many people got on a plane this Mother's Day weekend. Some big numbers out there, and Newark starting to look like Newark again. Back after this. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. All right, welcome back. Well, would you believe that lumber prices continue to soar? It's it's actually historic. Lumber futures are up 50% in one month. It has really, in many ways, been the story of the year. Because with the housing market also red hot, it's going to drive up the prices of newly built homes even more. And even more, maybe, for all you weekend warriors out there looking to put a new deck or an addition on your home. 
But is there any way this can continue? Let's bring in Brooks Mendel. He is the president and CEO of Full Risk. Brooks, it's great to have you on. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. I am fascinated by this story. I mean, these are trees. You cut them down, you slice them up, and then you build stuff with them. How in the world is there a 50% jump in price in 30 days? Brian, thanks for having me. It's remarkable. It is actually in the history of the sector. But a lot of it is just a, it's just a physical constraint of the business. Trees take a long time to grow, and sawmills take a couple years to build. And beginning last year when COVID and the recession hit, the sawmills slowed down. Projects that were expanding mill capacity slowed down. But meanwhile, everybody at home, as you mentioned, kept doing their projects. Home demand continued, and repair and remodeling just kept cooking along. I mean, right now, the housing stock in the United States is the oldest it's ever been in the history of the country. So people have repairs to do, and they still need that lumber. Well, the question is, can they get it, Brooks? You might have seen this story, and I can't remember the source, so I apologize. Early, I got old man morning brain. All right. I saw a story a few days ago that a lumber yard sold the wood it had bought from a distributor back to the distributor at a profit so the distributor could sell it to a different customer at an even greater profit. I mean, can you imagine if Procter & Gamble sells a bunch of Crest to a Walgreens and then says, can we buy the Crest back from you because we got somebody willing to pay more? That's happening now. So it's remarkable because right now, a lot of the action is happening on on the margin, just these contract deals. And even the, the financial markets are playing on the edge. At the end of the day, the market right now is constrained just by physical limitations to produce those boards. And right now, this year already, we've had several new sawmills open up. We have several new sawmills under construction. And all the sawmills that we're looking to expand their capacity are doing so. And when you look at where the lines cross on supply and demand, you see things start to balance out later this year. So with respect to can these high prices continue, they could. But on the ground, in terms of that ability to produce and supply the demand, the suppliers, the producers, they catch up by the end of this year. And I want to be clear, according to your and other data I've seen, Brooks, there's no shortage of trees. I don't want to turn this into a nature show. There's (laughs) plenty of trees. In some ways, there's plenty of wood. It sounds like there's just nobody that can cut it and move it fast enough. Is that correct? Brian, that's exactly correct. In the U.S. South in particular, we're swimming in wood. And as a country, we we grow 50% more volume in trees than we consume every year. So we have the raw material. As you mentioned, though, right now the constraint, it's at the mill. That ability to cut those round logs into square boards and get it to the marketplace, that's where we feel the pinch. 50% more trees than demand, and yet prices are up 50% in just a month. You know what? My six-year-old son, he's going to say, Daddy, what should I do? I'm going to say, be a lumberjack, son, or open a (laughs) sawmill. Maybe that is the sawmills, not software. That's the future. Brooks Mendel, full risk, really fascinating stuff, Brooks. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. All right. You're very welcome. All right, still ahead. New York's most important gasoline lifeline shut off as crooks target the Colonial Pipeline. What we know, what we still don't, coming up. And May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. All month long, we're going to be spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, partners, partners, and some of our own on-air anchors and reporters. 
Here is our friend, Elon Boyd. I spent a lot of time as a kid trying to figure out American culture, and I am so glad that the conversation is now shifting so that people want to understand more about our culture. My advice to the next generation is never to hide who you are or where you came from, because those are the very things that will make you unique and indispensable in whatever work you choose to do. Never be afraid to speak up about who you are. New York's energy lifeline cut off, forced to shut down as hackers threatened the 5,000-mile colonial pipeline. Prices already beginning to rise. The White House says it's ready to respond. Stocks remain hot as major markets begin to set more new records this week. But could that energy hit hit your money? And get in the heck out of Doge. Investors bailing on the crypto after Elon Musk's Saturday Night Live appearance, calling it a hustle. It is Monday, May 10th, and if you're watching Worldwide Exchange right now, you're hustling. Well, welcome or welcome back, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Monday morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be. Here's how your money and the markets look right now as we are exactly halfway through this 5 a.m. hour to kick off your week. Now, from a stocks perspective, it looks like this trend of so-called value stocks, industrials, materials continuing. The Dow futures up 63, NASDAQ futures, they're down about 40. Now, as far as the S&P 500, the industrials, the markets are coming off their best week in a month. And the S&P 500, it's sixth positive week in the past seven. How hot have we been? Well, Instanet notes that the S&P 500 has now not had a 1% or more drop in two months. And there are two big themes right now. Big tech, looking a little shaky, and big crypto. Let's start with the latter first, all right? And take a look at the ARK Investment ETF. Kathy Wood's ARK, a very tech-heavy ETF and investment vehicle. It has been subject to a ton of new money inflow the past few years, but in the past few weeks, a lot of outflow. Well down from its peak of over 150, the ARK is now kind of viewed as a semi-proxy for technology overall. We've also got to check on, what else? The cryptos, because they're going in different directions. Okay, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Ripple, the big four, they're all higher. Bitcoin's up right now. Look at Ethereum, more than 4,000 bucks. It's at 41.10. Litecoin's up 9%. But Dogecoin, it is down 13%. And it follows Elon Musk's Saturday Night Live appearance, and maybe a word that he picked that Dogecoin buyers, shall we say, may not like. There's your crypto setup. Ethereum remains the hottest of them all. We'll get more on all this throughout the day right here on CNBC. But right now, back to that big and developing story involving America's largest and arguably most important energy pipeline. Forced to shut down due to criminal targeting its computer systems. The Colonial Pipeline remains offline and has been all weekend as we learn new details on who may be behind it all. Eamon Jabber is joining us now with the very latest on what we know and what we don't. And Eamon, it does appear that there is more we don't know than we do know right now. 
Absolutely, including when this is going to be over, Brian. We don't have any sense now of whether the company is paying a ransom or what their plan is to get back in action. We did get a statement last night from the company, though. Here's what they told us. The important part, I think, uh, is this. Maintaining the operational security of our pipeline, in addition to safely bringing our systems back online, remain our highest priorities. Over the past 48 hours, Colonial Pipeline personnel have taken additional precautionary measures to help further monitor and protect the safety and security of its pipeline. So this statement makes it sound like there's a potentially significant risk here to the pipeline safety itself, and they're focused very much on that. Over at the White House, they are focused on this as well. A senior administration official telling NBC uh, News last night uh, that the White House has gone forward and set up a task force. What they're calling it is an interagency working group that's going to plan for any supply impact of fuel, particularly on the East Coast. Uh, The Department of Energy is the lead agency there. The Department of Transportation, this is interesting. They're issuing temporary hours of service exemptions to drivers who are transporting fuel to certain states. So the idea here is that if it can't go by pipeline, it has to go somewhere else. Presumably that means on the road, and that means drivers are going to have to be working long hours. So they're allowing those drivers to do that in this particular situation. So the, the government is paying attention here. All of that raising the question of who is behind this? The attribution is a little vague here, but the, the number one suspect is a group called Darkside. It's a relatively new <clears throat> uh, uh, hacking group uh, that, that does ransomware as a service. That is, it sells ransomware to other criminal gangs. They target English-speaking countries. They appear to avoid former Soviet bloc nations. That might give you a sense of where they are and who they are. They actually have a code of conduct, according to uh, Cyber Reason, which is a Boston-based cybersecurity firm that limits who they go after. They're highly professional. The group has a phone number and a help desk to facilitate negotiations with their victims. And they claim to donate a portion of the stolen funds to charities, although some of the charities have actually rejected the donations from this group. And then finally, this is important for our audience, Brian, they've been threatening to hit NASDAQ companies and leak information to damage their share prices and to serve potentially as a source for insider trading tips. All of that analysis of the group Darkside was provided to us by a group called Cyber Reason. They're a cybersecurity firm. They've been looking at this group, and they just put out this report on Darkside back in April. So uh, fortunate timing for them to be focused on a a relatively new group here uh, with wide-ranging capabilities and wide-ranging reach. Brian? Yeah, and the wide-ranging ability, apparently, Eamon, to force the shutdown. And I want to be clear They apparently did not shut down the pipeline. Colonial Pipeline, the company which is out of Alpharetta, Georgia, says they itself shut it down proactively to, quote, contain the threat. The question is, we don't know exactly what that threat is, right? Now, I talked to some people in the energy industry over the weekend. They don't want to speculate. But these pipelines are controlled largely by automation and software that control the flow of the, if you take control of the brain, the computer's, You could theoretically alter the flow, which some people I talked to said could result in things like backups, spills, or other problems. Do we know anything more about the, quote, threat? We don't. uh, But look, the fact that the company shut down the pipeline, I think, tells you something, right? They're concerned about more than just ransomware. Ransomware is when the hacker reaches out and grabs your data and locks down your systems and says, we're not releasing this until you pay us money. It's a for-profit enterprise. If you're worried about that, then you go into negotiations and you try to open up uh, the pipeline again by paying off the bad guy. 
But if you're worried about a safety issue, as they said in their statement, and you feel like you need to shut down the entire pipeline to the East Coast, which is a huge step to take, that indicates to me, this is just analysis here, but that indicates to me that Colonial Pipeline is worried about safety and security of this system. Uh, and that indicates that they might be concerned about something more than a ransomware attack, an attack that's designed to wreak havoc on the East Coast of the United States. And there are political yeah. elements to that, why you do that. That's not just a criminal gang, right? That's a criminal gang that's, de- that's decided to create, you know, geosecurity mischief. Uh, and that, I think, is the concern that would lead you to shut down an entire pipeline like that. Yeah. And by the way, reaching myself and others reaching out to various members of Colonial Pipeline over the weekend, they have uh, gone dark or gone dark side. Either way, we don't know. But back in May of 2018, <laughs> part of the Colonial Pipeline, Eamon, was shut down because they had some kind of a systems issue. I believe that was the exact terminology they used. We never found out what that was. One does wonder if there had been more attempts on this as well. I believe they've hired the company FireEye as a cybersecurity. Thing. I mean, there's a lot of they questions have. still here. Eamon Jabbers. Yeah. Thank you very much. You bet, Brian. Oh, oh, they've got a help desk. You're very welcome. A help desk and a phone number for a criminal hacking organization. Consider that. All right. Well, the SpaceX Dogecoin story, it came out over the weekend because Elon Musk hosted SNL. Well, it impacted the price of Dogecoin, which had run up ahead of the appearance, but went to the dogs during the broadcast. Dogecoin down as much as 35% as Musk, playing a character, downplayed the crypto. Is it, man? (laughs) I keep telling you, it's a cryptocurrency you can trade for conventional money. Oh, so it's a hustle. Yeah, it's a hustle. (laughs) Why didn't you say that, man? Those father, everybody. It's a hustle. To the moon! Well, some people that may not have been laughing were Dogecoin holders. And let's bring in. Brian Kelly, founder and managing member of Brian Kelly Capital, of course, CNBC contributor, Fast Money's best guy, and he joins us now. BK, good to have you on on the other five show. Uh, let's talk about this. I mean, Musk slamming Dogecoin, but it's only down 13% right now. It's actually, I know you're not a Doge guy necessarily, but do you think Elon Musk did any long term damage? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think there was anything really of value to damage. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting. You, this is part of the kind of meme uh, financial uh, thing that's going on right now. But if you think about what he's doing, right, he's saying, I'm going to send it to, to the moon. It's really cool, but these things get their value from network effect. And the last time I checked, there weren't a lot of people on the moon to start using Dogecoin. Let's talk about the big ones, though. We've hit Dogecoin just enough. I think we talk about the, the, I hate to say the term, the real money, but I would say the big money where you've got some institutional players. I don't think you've got Goldman Sachs talking about Dogecoin yet. So let's talk about the ones they may be talking about, BK, which is Ethereum and Bitcoin. Ethereum above 4000 bucks. I mean, it has boomed. What is behind this last two to three week surge in ETH? Yeah, so you, you've got a couple things going on with Ethereum. One, the DeFi or decentralized finance. A lot of those projects are built on top of Ethereum. 
The second part is coming up in July, Ethereum's going to do a hard fork of what we might call a software upgrade for simple terms. And what that's going to do, it's going to change its monetary policy. So it resembles something a little bit more like Bitcoin, not exactly, but basically it's going to cut the supply down a bit. So you've got, you know, good development plus a monetary policy chain uh, change. And that's really what's fueling Ethereum at this point in time. Will there be a fixed amount of Ethereum at some point, like theoretically the 21 million cap on Bitcoin? <laughs> that, that is the literally trillion dollar question. What they're doing right now is they're uh, burning some supply as the coin is used. Uh, therefore, that, that starts to slow down what we call inflation. Uh, it is not a hard cap as of yet, but... You know, my view on all of these is that ultimately they need to be a viable currency and they need to have the ability to store value, which, as we've seen from Bitcoin, the best way to accomplish that is to put a hard cap on it. I don't know if Ethereum will ever do that. It may be okay with the monetary policy they're changing now, but it's certainly possible. So is this move, you think, BK, it sounds like just this advanced move ahead of uh, that, uh, for lack of a better term, software or blockchain adjustment they are doing to try to cap supply. In other words, is this uh, a sort of a not artificial, but more of a short-term run-up based on that expected move? And when it actually happens, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news that it may cap it. Or do you think, like to Tom Lee, a Fundstrat's view, he thinks Ethereum could go to $10,000? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I would, I would be in agreement with Tom. It would not surprise me to see Ethereum at $10,000. The one thing that we have to remember when we had the last last big bull market like we're having in crypto now, there were many months that Ethereum was down 30, 40 percent in a month. So that can happen here on its way to 10,000. And maybe we are seeing a bit of anticipation of this upgrade. Um, But I still think that if you're going to have a big portion of decentralized finance, Ethereum is being used for actual products with billions and billions of dollars uh, being deployed on the network. And that is valuable. So, sure, could we have a 20, 30 percent decline? Absolutely. But I'd probably lean more to the Tom Lee side and say I think 10,000 by the end of the year would not surprise me. Wow. And I see that, uh, by the way, Twitter just rolled out a tip jar. I don't know if they accept Dogecoin BK, but... You probably just made a lot of Ethereum. Maybe they can tip you in crypto, <clears throat> excuse me, on Twitter, which, which is a new thing. It's, it's all connected I'm gonna somehow. I'm going to tip the Sully Corp. Brian Kelly, great to see you this morning, my friend. Thank you. Good to see you, Sully. All right. All right. Thank you. Coming up, separate the facts, you know, the facts from fiction on what the richest 1% in America actually pay in taxes. Robert Frank crunching the numbers all weekend, and he is standing by to roll it out just for you on Worldwide Exchange. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. The Biden administration continuing to make the case for its tax hikes on America's wealthiest families. And politicians everywhere love to use the term fair share to tell voters that, you know, The other guy isn't paying what's fair. But what exactly is a fair share? Robert Frank, crunch of the numbers on the richest 1% and joins us now. Robert. Good morning, Brian. Well, President Biden saying he wants a tax system where wealthy investors no longer pay marginal rates lower than their secretary. But the latest IRS numbers show the wealthy actually pay by far 
the highest rates and also by far the largest share of taxes. The top 1% paid 40.1% of all federal income taxes in 2018. That is the highest share on record and more than twice their share of the 1980s. Their average effective tax rate, now that's what they actually pay when you include all the credits and deductions, that was over 25%. Now let's compare that to the middle class. They paid an average tax rate of 7%, and the bottom half of Americans paid 3%. So the top 1% paid an effective tax rate more than three times higher than the middle class. The average one percenter had income of about $1.7 million a year and paid federal income taxes of $427,000. Now, many would argue, look, the wealthy pay a higher share of taxes because they earn more of the nation's income. But their share of income actually fell in 2018 to 20.9%. Now, the Tax Cuts and Job Act did lower the taxes paid by the wealthy, but because the rest of America also got a tax cut, the overall share of taxes paid by the wealthy grew. Analysts say the main reason was SALT, which of course increased taxes for some high earners in high-tax states. Brian? The key here, and I don't think any politician of either party has done his or her own taxes for years, because the key, as anyone knows, is effective versus marginal. And politicians, both parties, by the way, get up and they go, are paying less than the secretary. Inaccurate. It's just wrong. Because they're talking marginal rates, what the headline number is. You showed the data. In fact, I've seen data also, which is right around there. People don't believe it. But the average middle quintile of all, if you break every income into fists, pays 3% federal effective income taxes. Now they pay more in Social Security. They pay state. They pay local But that's the point, Robert, right, is that federal income taxes after deductions have come way down for everybody, not just the rich in the last 40 years. In fact, the middle class federal effective income tax burden has never been lower. I know people hate it. Don't at me. It's just data. No, absolutely. And you have done so much over the years to remind people of this difference between marginal and and effective rates. So credit to you. But it is worth saying, and this is not a political statement, the more you earn in America, the higher your tax rate. And I know that there are people that dispute that, but that is the math, Brian. Yeah, it's very true. And we can argue about fair share. That's a different situation because that's just going to be subjective. But as far as the actual numbers go, taxes on pretty much everybody from a federal perspective, states, different story, I get it, have come down in the last 30 years or so. Robert Frank laying out, you, you and I are going to get crushed that we laid out the hard truth and it's, it's not something anybody wants to hear. Robert, thank you. All right, on deck, the Dow notching two dozen record closes already this year, even more for the S&P 500. So what can keep this market rally rolling right on? Well, Joanne Feeney is here to tell you. All right, welcome or welcome back. Dow futures, they are higher once again. And joining us, advisors, capital management partner, Joanne Feeney. She is advising investors to get ready for... Some volatility, which is interesting, Joanne. Welcome back, by the way, because according to Instanet, we have not had a 1% down move on the S&P 
for more than two months. We like it. We like to see our numbers and our accounts go up. But is it starting to feel a little frothy? Well, maybe I should just say, wait for it, Brian. Uh, you know, it may not come in the whole market. And, and I think what we're seeing already this year and, and certainly through last year is uh, an increasingly a lot of divergence in where particular stocks go. Right. Some stocks clearly have pretty frothy valuations. Some that did very well last year are probably pretty large proportion of client accounts. We're getting a lot of questions from our clients on what to do with some of the positions you know, they might have held in a separate account. And when they ask us to come along and help them work out of those positions, what we hear is a lot of concern about those risks, global risks, inflation risks, and those positions being a very large share of portfolios, whether it's a Tesla or an Amazon, they need to work out of those. So in terms of those higher valuation stocks yeah. with interest rates likely to rise, it's time to really move on and get more diversified. Well, it might be taxes, too. You might have just heard our conversation, Joanne, with Robert Frank. So if one of your clients has owned Apple for five or 10 or whatever years or Amazon, whatever, they made a lot of money on paper, you're looking at the possibility of higher capital gains rates. Are you advising them to sell some of those winners, take the lower cap gains hit now, because if they think it's going to go up, right, sell it now and buy something else? Yeah, it really depends ultimately what, what they want to do in the long term with their portfolio. If they've been with us for a long time, right, we've been on top of that. We've been working them out of, out of larger positions and keeping them diversified. But if you've got a new client who comes in with a big position, you know, that's one thing we offer is a, is a tax management program to work them out of those positions. And it's clearly a concern if people think that the capital gains tax is going to go up. And as the probability perhaps rises that it will, I think we are going to see uh, folks work out of those positions. But on the other hand, you know, there's that as a headwind, but as a tailwind, you know, a company like Apple, uh, you know, yeah. a company like Microsoft, I mean, these are going to be good growers in the long run after we get through this temporary disruption. So I wouldn't be rushing out of these positions that have good long-term growth potential, like we think there still is in an Apple or Microsoft or a Palo Alto, given what just happened to the uh, pipeline over the weekend. So there's a lot of good opportunities for growth out there, and you have to balance maybe working out of some high you know, percentage positions, but not getting away from growth, which we still think has a lot of drivers. Cybersecurity being one of yeah. them. We like Palo Alto. We've owned it for a long time. Yeah, but also 5G that I've talked about a few times before. Yeah, 5G rolling out. <clears throat> Certainly other parts of technology, Joanne Feeney, are out there. And we'll see what happens because we have seen that rotation coming into the quote-unquote value. I don't like that term because I don't really know what it means. It's in the eye of the beholder, I guess. But Joanne Feeney, we appreciate you coming on. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. All right, you're very welcome. Before we go to break, we'll get a check on oil and gas prices if we can. Of course, the Colonial Pipeline, America's biggest energy artery from Houston to New York, still mostly shut off, forced to shut down by that cyber hack and the ransomware demand. We're seeing a slight pop in oil and gas prices. We'll talk more about it all day here on CNBC. Thanks, guys, for throwing it up. Dow Futures up 60. We'll see you on Worldwide Exchange tomorrow. Squawk and the gang picking up the coverage next. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. 
Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.